Hi there, and welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Gems from Galatians. For more teaching on the book of Galatians, be sure to get a hold of Kevin's newly released commentary on this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kevin's new commentary is available in paperback format from Amazon, in ebook format for Kindle, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Galatians chapter 3, and uh, pick up something that we haven't answered in previous sessions, but we need to do that tonight. And so I've spelled out some notes pretty fully for you tonight, photocopying and everything like that. So Galatians chapter 3, just to remind us. And uh, again, I want to pick up verse uh, 15 through to 19, and uh, then we haven't answered this yet. We've been on, on the way there. All right, Galatians 3 and verse 15 to 19. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, confirmed with what? An oath, okay, if it's confirmed with an oath, by an oath, no one annuls, or we might say disannul, no one can annul it or add to it. So they can't take away or add to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he does not say, and to seeds, plural, as a many, but as a one, to your seed, who is Christ. And this is, uh, this I say, or this is what I'm saying, that the law covenant, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the Abrahamic covenant that was confirmed with an oath, I'm supplying words there, before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance of the Lord is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till these seeds should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained or appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. May the Lord bless that uh, portion of his word tonight. All right, now, uh, we try not to, you know, uh, get too heavy here. But um, I personally feel that uh, one of the most confusing issues in the church today is the whole matter of law and grace. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, this is not on your notes. John chapter 1. And we'll read verse 17, John 1, verse 17. And it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now it doesn't say law and grace. The law was given by Moses, but grace came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. So it's not grace without truth or truth without grace. So the law was given. The law didn't come by Moses, it was given. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth didn't come. Grace and truth uh, wasn't given. Grace came by Jesus Christ. Okay, law and grace, grace and truth. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. I think it's Romans 7. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, let's see, Romans 7, Romans 6. Somebody might uh, just help me on this. Somewhere in that chapter where Paul says, we are not under law, but 6.14, is it? Thank you. Uh, so Romans 6.14, add on your notes there. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So as I said, in my mind, one of the most confusing things here particularly in the, in, in the church, is the whole issue of law. And uh, so I want to spend a bit of time on that uh, tonight. Okay. 
Law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came. Now, let's start off here. Now, we've, we've, we've spent a bit of time, quite a bit of time on the whole area of the Abrahamic covenant, the promises, and I hope, I think, I hope that we're all convinced that the Abrahamic covenant was not uh, disannulled by the Mosaic covenant. Is that right? We all agreed on that? I ask you a question. And why? Because it was confirmed with an oath. Okay, so it made the covenant everlasting. Now we want to look at the whole area of the Mosaic covenant. And when people say, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, is, is grace lawlessness? You know, whenever you say, oh, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. So the implication is, well, I'm not under law, uh, grace, I'm under grace. So is grace lawlessness? You know, what do Christians really mean by that? And then you hear statements, well, the law was abolished at the cross. The law was now at the cross. Uh, there's, there's some of the questions you want to look at tonight. Now, let's go to your notes that we've handed out here tonight, session seven. Now, under A here, the key word, as uh, I gave you way back early in the piece there, uh, one of the key words in the epistle to the Galatian church is the word law, and you might like to make a note of that. It's used at least 32 times. So I've photoed this, uh, photocopied this out of Strong's Concordance just to see what an important key word it is, 30 ti- uh, 32 times. And Paul talks about being justified by the works of the law, not justified by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I'm just going through these references. For I through the law am dead to the law. Uh, if righteousness came by the law, the Spirit... Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? He that worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? As many as of the works of the law are under the curse. Uh, Cursed is everyone that continues not in the book of the law to do them. Uh, By the law, um, just uh, lost that one, Galatians 3. Galatians 3 and uh, verse 11. Uh, that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. Uh, Galatians 3.12, the law is not of faith. He has delivered us from the curse of the law. Uh, the law, before the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law covenant, if the inheritance be of the law, wherefore then serve, or what's the purpose of the law? Is the law against the promises of God? Uh, if there had been a law that could give given life, then righteousness would have been by the law. Um, we should have been kept by the law. Uh, before faith came, we were kept under the law. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring, bring us to Christ. Um, Galatians 4.4, 4, trying to remember all these off by heart here. Uh, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Tell me you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Uh, Galatians 5.3 I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to do the whole law. Um, Galatians 5.4 Christ has become of none effect Uh, whosoever you are justified by the law you're fallen from grace. All the law is fulfilled in one Lord one law, pardon me, uh, love your neighbor yourself as many as are led by the spirit you're not under the law. And then he lists the fruit of the Spirit and says, against such there is no law, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, Then uh, Galatians uh, 6.13, he says, um, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in in your flesh. 32 times the word law is in Galatians. What does Paul mean by the law? Now on the other side, the right-hand column from Strong's Concordance, you'll have the definition of the word law. We want to amplify that a bit tonight. Uh, 3551, and the word is nomos, from a primary uh, something there, to parcel out especially food or grazing animals uh, through the idea of prescriptive usage. Generally, it's referring to a regulation, specifically of Moses, including the, the volume, also of the gospel, or figuratively, a principle, and, and the Greek word nomos uh, is uh, simply translated law. 
Now, from Webster's Dictionary, I've purposely done this, uh, as you'll see why tonight as we work through. Uh, Webster's Dictionary gives a lot of, a lot of uh, detail about the word law. So, uh, from Webster's Dictionary, we have the word law, and uh, from the root of lay, so forth. A law is that which is laid, set, or fixed, like a statute, constitution. And his definition is a rule, particularly an established or permanent rule prescribed by the supreme power of a state to its subjects for regulating their actions, particularly their social actions. Laws are imperative or mandatory, commanding what shall be done, prohibitory, restraining from what is to be foreborne or permissive, declaring what may be done without incurring a penalty, the laws which enjoin the duties of piety and morality or morality are prescribed by God and found in the scriptures. And then we have a whole list there, I just thought for your own information, municipal law, the law of nature number three, the law of animal nature, the laws of vegetation number five, uh, six physical laws or laws of nature, uh, number seven laws of nations, uh, number eight moral law, nine ecclesiastical law, a rule of action prescribed for the government of a church, otherwise called canon law, ten written law, uh, eleven unwritten or common law, uh, by law, and then we've got the in-law and the outlaw, of course. You don't forget your relatives. Um, then number 13, Mosaic Law, the institution of Moses or the code of laws prescribed to the Jews as distinguished from the gospel. Number 14, Ceremonial Law, the Mosaic institutions which prescribe the external rites and ceremonies to be observed by the Jews as distinct from the moral precepts which are a perpetual obligation. Number 15, a rule of direction, and so forth. Number 17, the word of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Uh, 18, the Old Testament. Uh, this is what I like about uh, Webster's original dictionary, not the modern one. Uh, Webster's original dictionary is loaded with scriptures. The modern Webster's dictionary, they've cut out every reference to the Bible. Is it not written in your law, I said ye are gods? 19, the institution of Moses, uh, as distinct from the other parts of the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. And then number 20, rule or axiom of science or art. Mar uh, 21, marital law. 22, marine laws. 23, commercial laws. 24, judicial process. And right through. So it's a very full amplification of the word law by Webster. All right, now, so much for that. I want you to go to page two and we'll start filling in some things here. Page two. All right, I moved through that pretty quickly uh, on purpose here because this is where I want to spend our time. Now, I'm not sure where you are on all this, but I, I you know, because having uh, dealt with seven-day Adventists a bit and seven-day Pentecostal people a little bit and trying to sort this whole business out on law and grace. And I hear so many preachers say, well, we're not under law. The law is the nail to the cross. It's abolished. Forget I'm under grace. So uh, under grace, I'm free. Okay? So uh, in other words, the implication is if I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Grace becomes lawlessness. All right, we want to talk about that tonight. Now, in my study of the Word of God and uh, listening to other preachers and teachers and trying to learn all I can over the years, I personally believe that the law, uh, the, the word the law is just a very all-comprehensive word, but that the law itself is actually broken down into five divisions. And I want you to put these down on your notes, okay? So five divisions... And uh, I want to give you a, a scripture here and there where I can. And I'll put, the, uh, put these things on the overhead for you. So five divisions as we sort of do our research on this. Okay, let's uh, look at the five divisions of the law. And uh, as I said, the word the law, the expression the law, is a very broad, comprehensive expression. But let's uh, just break it up a little bit to help us on the Galatian epistle. Okay, number one, we have number one what is referred to as the moral law 
and or the Ten Commandments, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And what we want to do in, uh, in due time here is we have to look at the law in relation to the cross. So when people say, I'm not under law, so what you could do, you could uh, sort of do this in due time, we will. Okay, was the law nailed to the cross? This is what we've got to sort out tonight. This is what the Galatians have to sort out because we said previously that uh, they're suffering from covenantal confusion. Okay, the moral law. Now I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter, Exodus 20. Or no, Exodus, um, yeah, Exodus 20. You can add these scriptures if you've got a bit of room there. Exodus 20. All right, Exodus 20, and you can put down verses 1 through to 17. Exodus 20, verse 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, um, I am the Lord thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall uh, not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt, do no, uh, do not, uh, shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, neither stranger is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill... A uh, better uh, word is, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbour's. Okay, so the first expression we have of the law is the moral law and referring to the Ten Commandments, okay? The moral law referring to the Ten Commandments. Now, turn over to Exodus chapter 31, uh, 30, yeah, 31, Exodus 31. And uh, just verse 18, Exodus 31 and verse 18. And he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communicating with him, communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Okay, so number one here, when we speak of the law, the moral law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, which were written on two tables of stone. Okay, two tables of stone. Go over to Exodus 25. Exodus 25. And the Lord tells us where Moses is to put the Ten Commandments, the two tables of stone. Exodus 25 and verse 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment under the children of Israel. And we find later on that uh, Moses was to put the two tables of stone into the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so that's important first of all. The moral law was put inside the Ark of the Covenant. The two tables of stone in here. The two tablets. Uh, in some places they're called the Ten Words. Okay, okay, so that's the moral law. Now let me ask you the question, and then we need to come back to it here. How many believe that the moral law, the Ten Commandments, were nailed to the cross? Hands up for those yes. Hands up for those no. 
Hands up for those who haven't got any hands. Hands up for those who are frightened of getting caught. Okay, that's what we're going to sort out. All right, now, number two, second uh, division of the law are the civil laws. And uh, you'll find that like um, Exodus, just put down some broad chapters here, you've got to watch our time here. Uh, Exodus 21, 22, 23, uh, a lot of chapters in um, Deuteronomy, which is referred to as the second law. The second law, uh, I was trying to look for our exact scripture here, was actually written in a book. Yes, let's turn to Deuteronomy 31. So a lot of chapters on the civil laws, and I want to say something about that in a moment here. All right, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31, and then I'll just say something before we read. Okay, now, the civil laws, listen carefully, this is the second, uh, second aspect of the law here. The civil laws were, listen carefully here, they were an amplification of the moral law. Okay, the civil laws were an amplification of the moral law. In other words, I haven't got time to milk this too much, otherwise we don't get too far. So one of the moral laws was thou should not commit adultery. Now, that's a very, very sort of broad statement there, but when you go through the civil laws, because I've had, I mean, you know, it amazes me, even ministers here in Melbourne, somebody came to me in the church one time, when we're in the old auditorium and said, well, my minister believes that homosexuality is all right because it's not against the Ten Commandments. He said, hey, just a minute. I know the Ten Commandments doesn't say thou should not be a homosexual, thou should not commit adultery, but you see, that, that commandment is the law of moral purity. And under the civil laws, the laws of moral purity are amplified in Leviticus, uh, where, where the Lord condemns homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, sex with animals. He goes through the whole thing, nakedness of your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, and just gazing, pornography. He deals with the whole thing there. It's an amplification of the law of moral purity. Then, one of the moral laws is thou shalt not murder. Well, then under the civil laws, he gives chapter after chapter about manslaughter, accidental killing, or literal murder, and no city of refuge for the murder. He gives lots of laws and the death penalty on murderers, not to manslaughter. So he amplifies, so we could go through law after law on that. So if you took the Ten Commandments, put them out here, and then the civil laws or moral laws, and then under each of them put the civil laws, they are simply an amplification of the moral law. Much more detail. Everybody clear on what I'm saying here? Okay, so were the civil laws nailed to the cross? And see, this minister, I'm sorry to say, and just, well, I don't know his name, and I wouldn't say it if I did, but you see, he says, well, Jesus never condemned homosexuality if it's done in love. I said, well, love and lust both start with L. Don't mistake lust for love. I mean, you can say amen. See? I said, and so I gave, I gave, gave this uh, lady a bunch of scriptures to take to this minister. I haven't heard from him since. Uh, how to win Jews and influence ministers in one easy lesson. So civil laws and amplification of the moral law now. Read Deuteronomy with me, and what were the civil laws written in, along with the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are particularly written on two tables of stone. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 31, and we're going to have to move. In Deuteronomy 31, and I can't explain this, but I'll read it to you. Um, verse 24, Deuteronomy 31, verse 24. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book. Okay, there it is, in a book. Not on tables of stone. The Ten Commandments were written on two tables of stone, written by the finger of God, then broken, then replaced, and put inside the ark. But Moses, God said to Moses several times, write it in a book, write it in a book, write it in a book. So all the civil laws written in a book, along with the Ten Commandments as well, repetition. Then in um, verse 24, I'll read again. came to pass when Moses made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished. 
that Moses commanded the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord saying, take this book of the law. And as I said, I don't know how to explain this. It says, uh, reading from the New King James, take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there as a witness against you. So the book of the law somehow was put in the side or put beside. So we have the two tables of stone here, uh, the moral law, and then we have this book of the law here at the side of the ark, the book of the law. So the book of the law with all the civil laws and all the other things we're talking about here. And um, if you go back to previous, uh, go back to in the same chapter, go back to verse 9. And Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, not in the feast of Passover, not in the feast of Tabernacles, uh, feast of Pentecost, but in the feast of Tabernacles. That's uh, loaded there. In the feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel is to come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, that you will read this law before all Israel in their hearing. They were to take the book of the law and read it. Okay, so moral law on two tables of stone inside the ark and the civil laws, and uh, there was a repetition of the moral law, but civil laws and amplification of that written in the book of the law. Now, just quickly on these ones. So uh, maybe I ask you the same question. Were the civil laws nailed to the cross? Were they abolished? All right, number three. We'll just say this, a hit and run away. The health and hygiene laws. Now, in the book of the law, God gives a lot of laws about childbirth and men in their uncleanness and women in their uncleanness uh, and uh, going outside the camp, uh, digging a hole in the ground, uh, which was their um, little house on the prairie and so forth, trying to be good on the tape here. Uh, health and hygiene laws, were they now the cross? God told them to take a bath, have a wash, clean themselves. How many think the health and hygiene laws were now to the cross? The answer is no. How many think we still need to take a bath? Yeah, I mean, even the New Testament says having your bodies washed with pure water. So we have H and H, H, H and H. Health and hygiene laws and simply to keep healthy and uh, clean and everything like that. Men and women and their uncleanness and God gives a whole. And you remember they're coming out of Egypt where there's been a lot of uncleanness and a lot of the Gentile nations just lived in the squalor of filthiness. And if you go to certain countries today, as I have over the years, some of the... Cities are just filthy, absolutely filthy. Whereas God said, I want you to be clean, healthy, whole nation. So he gave a whole lot of laws there. So were they nailed to the cross? Answer is no. All right, number four, always a controversial one, food laws. He gave them certain food laws and uh, they were also written in the book of the law. So food laws. So we have a lot of controversy over that. And uh, it is interesting that the Jews were the most the healthiest nation on the face of the earth, as long as they kept the food laws. You say, oh, well, that's bondage. Uh, you see, one of, <laughs> there's so many things come to my little mind here, but uh, one of the misunderstandings today is, for instance, uh, Peter's vision when he's waiting on the uh, uh, housetop for lunch and he sees this sheet let down from heaven with all these unclean animals on it and this voice said, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter said, hey, I'm a good Jew. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And this happened three times. And God said to him, what the Lord, what God has called, our clans called, they're not common. Now, people and most preachers, so I, sorry I have to disagree. It's not my fault if I'm right, is it? Okay. Uh, most preachers say, oh, well, when, when Peter saw all the unclean animals let down from heaven, pigs and frogs and... Uh, crabs and crayfish and prawns, all those animals that live on the filth uh, from our sewers. Uh, Peter didn't jump up and say, oh, all right, I can eat pork. You see, the vision is nothing to do with food laws. The, the vision is to do with Gentiles. 
And he said, oh, when I got down, now I got the message that whether God cleanses the Jew or the Gentile, what God has cleansed, don't you call common. You call those Gentiles pigs and Gentile dogs and Gentile crayfish and Gentile prawns. It's nothing to do with food laws. Now, I need to say this because I say it sometimes and people laugh and run away. That's okay. Um, I'm not saying eating pork is going to stop you getting to heaven. It'll help you get there quicker. Okay? But you see, what they did was taking food laws and making it an issue of salvation. If you eat pork, you're going to hell. No, if you eat pork, you might get to heaven quicker. You won't go to hell over pork. See, so they were... <laughs> okay. Uh, I remember one time I, when I was pastoring in Bendigo... Uh, we were having lunch with uh, somebody on Friday and um, we gave them uh, steak and suddenly realized that they don't eat meat on Friday. So I said, oh, I'm sorry, we forgot it was Friday. You're not allowed to eat meat. He said, don't worry about it. I'll just bless it and call it fish. <laughs> A tremendous handy religion uh, to have. Hey? So, so were those things now the cross? Just one illustration. They took a, uh, a health check on 300 Jews and only one Jew who had eaten pork, lived on pork a bit, had cancer. Oh, you know, say, so, well, oh, Kevin, Kevin's legalistic, he's narrow-minded. Oh, well, I've kept pretty healthy for 69 years. I have to eat some stuff overseas and I bless it and call it fish. <laughs> when I go to Indonesia or Malaysia or India... Some of these countries say, oh God, if you can bless under grace what you curse under law, then bless this stuff. But don't tell me what it is. Dogs, dogs' eyes. And in Japan, when I had to eat raw eggs and squid and octopus, whew, it gives me the creeps to even think of it. So I'm not that legalistic, okay, but I do believe a lot of Christians are sick through eating junk food. And then they come and ask us to heal them. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. That's an interesting thought. Anyway, I don't care. Do what you like. If you want to eat those things and go to heaven quick, I'll see you up there. Okay. <laughs> I want to live as long as I can. Thank you, Kevin. How many of you think that's a good point? Uh, I wish we had time to milk these things because, as I said, without uh, legalism is when you make these things an issue of salvation. But a lot of Christians are sick through eating junk food. Eh? And then ask God to heal them. I have one food law. Eat good food. Good, healthy food. And I do. Is that right, Sister Connor? Now and then I like an ice cream. Okay. Now, the fifth aspect, and this is the one we're looking at here, is the ceremonial law. Or the ceremonial laws. Okay, that's the thing we want to look at now. Oh, look at the time. Okay, so five aspects of the law. The moral law, referring to the Ten Commandments, which is the basic, the foundation. Civil laws, the health and hygiene laws, the food laws, ceremonial laws, all written in a book. Now, we ask ourselves here, oh, I'd like to throw this little thought in here while we're here. I don't think many of the uh, people of Israel really realized it. I think David was one of the great ones that realized it. That the ceremonial law, listen carefully here, was actually a revelation of grace under law. It was actually the ceremonial law. Now, let's look at this. The two tables of stone in the Ark of the Covenant. And what was the, uh, upon the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. And what was on the mercy seat? Blood. So where were the Ten Commandments? Under the blood. Under the mercy seat. And you see, this may answer something because, you know, when the Ark of the Covenant had been in the land of the Philistines for a number of months and then eventually came back on the oxen 
and so forth. The men, Beth she, uh, the men of Beth Shemesh, they lifted the lid off the Ark of the Covenant and were told that God slew, I think it was about 57,000 people, if I remember. Why? Do you know why? Paul says, the law is a ministration of death. And you see, what they have to do, and anybody today has to, who wants to take the Ten Commandments out, they had to remove the mercy seat because the law was under the mercy seat. In fact, it was, it was the mercy of God that it was because Israel would have been dead many times. And uh, when they removed the, the mercy seat, they removed the blood. And when you remove a bloodstained mercy seat and peer into the Ark of the Covenant, you are dead meat. And God demonstrated that with his own people. So I say to some of my friends, why are you going back to the Ark of the Covenant and pushing aside the bloodstained mercy seat, Hilasterian propitiation, the New Testament is, a bloodstained Lord Jesus Christ, and getting out the Ten Commandments and hitting me on the head with it and saying, I've got the mark of the beast if I don't keep it. That was grace. God could only dwell in, in, in Israel amongst his people with a bloodstained mercy seat covering the law. That was grace and many of them didn't realize that the whole of the ceremonial thing, the tabernacle and everything like that was a revelation of the grace of God. All right, now I want to break this one up and then we're going to come to the question about uh, the law in relation to the cross. Take down this, uh, where are we up to? Oh, I need to, yes, okay, need to do this. On your uh, sheets of paper, once you put this here, once you put down this uh, thought here as we develop it, can you everybody see that? Okay, the law in relation to the cross, because we have 32 references there, so we want to know what happened to the law, uh, or the moral law, the civil laws, or any of it. What happened to it? What was fulfilled and abolished at the cross? So when we say, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, what, what do we mean? Okay, so the law in relation to the cross. Now, under number five, which we put on there, these are the eight major things. And I've referred to this before, but we need to do it tonight. Under the ceremonial law, we have these eight major things. Now, all these belong to the ceremonial law, okay? I'll, I'll qualify something here. The ceremonial law. Circumcision, number one. And the Judaizing teachers, as we've seen, are trying to get the Jews, get, get the Gentiles circumcised. You cannot be saved unless you're circumcised. So as we've seen before, taking the seal of the Abrahamic covenant and, um, and uh, what was confirmed under the Mosaic covenant and trying to put it on the Gentiles. Number two, we mentioned this before, the Sabbath days. And uh, you see, one of the things on the whole Sabbath issue was that not only were the weekly Sabbath days every seventh day, but under the Feast of Israel, every feast day was a Sabbath. Then there were the Sabbath, Sabbath years. And then every seventh year was a Sabbath. Every fiftieth uh, year was a Sabbath. So if you say, oh, well, the Sabbaths, you know, what happened to it? So why don't you turn over to Colossians on this while we're at it. Colossians 2. See, and all this is the sort of background of the, of the Galatian epistle as well as some of the other, other things. Uh, what did I say, Colossians? Yeah, Colossians, where is Colossians? Yeah, Col listen to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17. Let no man, oh, I better read from verse, uh, verse 12. Yes, Colossians 2, verse 12, in the light of this. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, 
Notice it doesn't say blotting out the Ten Commandments. We'll come back to that. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, requirements, New King James says, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. Let no man therefore judge you in, okay, over here, meat or drink, food laws, as a means of salvation, Health, okay, but not salvation. Or in respect of a holy day, Sabbath days, festival days, which were extra Sabbaths in that same week. Or of the new moon, again, new moon when the feasts took place, certain feasts, uh, blow up the trumpet of the new moon, the Sabbath days appear, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body, the substances of Christ. Let, let, let me say something here, uh, preparatory to the rest here. Uh, all these things that we've got up here, all these things were a shadow. And I like to use this illustration. If I'm, if I'm standing here and the sun is shining over there, then the sun is casting my shadow. So what do I say to people? I say, okay, let's go to the beginning of the shadow and I go down to the beginning of the shadow and I start walking through the shadow and eventually as I follow the shadow, I must come to the person whose shadow it is. Amen? I said amen, they had a question mark after. Okay, so I go back to the law, and this is the only reason we do that, go back to things in the law. I go back and I begin here and I start walking through the law and through circumcision, Sabbath days, tabernacle of Moses, temple of Solomon, tabernacle of David, the sacrifice, the priesthood. I start walking through the shadow, but eventually I come to him whose shadow it was. All these things were shadow, but the substance, the reality is Christ. And see, the Old Testament saints lived in the shadow. They said that, in the shadow of thy wings will I trust. But we come to the reality. It's in Christ. How many can say amen to that? All right, so Sabbath days are sacrifice and ablation, part of the ceremonial law, actually grace under law, because if it wasn't the sacrifice of blood, God would have killed Israel many a times for their lapse into idolatry. The Aaronic and Levitical priesthood, uh, the temple, and the entrance within the veil once a year on the day of atonement, the feasts of Israel, Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles, natural Israel, the elect and select nation back there, and earthly Jerusalem, all worship had to go up there. They had to go to uh, the temple of Jerusalem, the uh, priesthood sacrifice. All these things were wrapped around the temple in Jerusalem. All these things belonged to the ceremonial law. That's the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law in relation to the cross. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, we pass, and you've heard me say this a number of times, but say it again, we go to the Old Testament and pass everything through the cross. We see whether it's fulfilled and abolished at the cross and whether it moves into a higher level. So as you've got on the overhead here, at the cross... It, circumcision is no longer a, 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 an acceptable spiritual thing in the sight of God. Physically it may be okay, but there's no religious value in it. What's the new covenant talk about? Circumcision of the heart. Does everybody agree with this? They often have a day of rest. But Saturday is very difficult for me when I fly overseas because if I fly on a Saturday and I get there on a Saturday or I come back, I'm having two Sabbaths sweating on both Sabbaths. And you know, you're not supposed to sweat on the Sabbath. I could be dead meat. Right? So Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Rest is not in a day. And we serve the Lord seven days a week. As a Sabbath thing is a whole thing in itself. Personnel. By the way, out of the Ten Commandments, the only one of the Ten Commandments that pertained to this whole ceremonial thing was the Sabbath day. And I've said this before when we did the series on the Ten Commandments. Of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament 
by Jesus and or the apostles, the only one never repeated by Jesus and or the apostles is the fourth commandment on the Sabbath. Never. Turn to Colossians, which I've just given you. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or new moon or Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Turn over to Romans 14 just while on that. Romans 14. How are we doing? Romans 14, where Paul gives another section over the whole issue of about a day. Romans 14 and uh, verse 5. Romans 14, verse 5. He deals with meats in the first thing, first section there. Then he says, verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, Another esteemeth every day alike. Okay, so one man thinks Saturday is better than Sunday. Another fellow says, every day is alike to me. I serve the Lord seven days a week. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, which I am. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eats, eats the Lord, he, for he gives God thanks. He that eat, give, eats not, to the Lord... He is not and gives God and giveth God thanks. None of us live to ourselves. So he's going on this whole thing of food laws and Sabbath laws. So I haven't got time to do this, but you know, I serve the Lord seven days a week. And I tell you, say to those people, so what you're doing, you're taking the sign and seal of the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment which was the sign and seal of the Mosaic Covenant as we've seen, and now you're trying to tack it on new covenant believers. Christ rose the dead the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. And may I say this just to remind some of you, even under the law, under two of their feasts, they kept the first day of the week, and they didn't know why. Because... The sheaf of first fruits, pointing to the resurrection, he says, wave the sheaf before the Lord on the morrow after the Sabbath. That was the first day of the week, resurrection. Then the day of Pentecost, he said, count seven Sabbaths to yourself, even 49 days. Then the 50th day, the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, and 50 is the number of Pentecost, wave the, the wave loaves of Pentecost. So, the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit were two days that they were keeping back there and didn't even know. I wonder how many questions, I wonder why we're keeping the first day of the week on these two feasts. Well, when you come to New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ bypassed the Sabbath and rose the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit bypassed the Sabbath. He said, if it's good enough for the son to do it, it's good enough for me. And the Holy Spirit came on the 50th day, which was the day after the mower, after the seventh Sabbath, the first day of the week. So if it's good enough for Jesus to rise from the dead the first day of the week, and good enough for the Holy Spirit to come and uh, birth the church on the first day of the week, it's good enough for me to worship the Lord the first day of the week. Are you breathing out there? Or are you thinking? Okay, so there's plenty of proof on that and I'm sorry some of the uh, Judaizers are not always honest with the word. Anyway, so natural Israel and so forth. So let's go through the cross here. So our rest is in a person. Come unto me and I will give you rest. So not only rest a day, any day of the week it can be, okay? Doesn't have to be Saturday. Sunday's no day of rest either, is it? Uh, around here anyway. So person sacrificed the oblation. Everybody believes that was fulfilled in abolishing Christ. Everybody here, I mean. Amen? All right, the Aaronic and Levitical priesthood, was that abolished at the cross? Ask your question. All right, what priesthood are we under? Melchizedek. Uh, was the temple, the material temple, finished at the cross? Yes. The veil of the temple? Yes. God went over the temple and as the priest is offering the sacrifice, he says, boys, you're out of a job. What's the new covenant temple? The church. You are the temple of God. Feast of Israel. 
Do we need to go to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles with unconverted Jews? Every time a person accepts Christ, the Passover lamb, they're having the Feast of Passover. Is that right? Every time a person receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaks in tongues, they're having the Feast of Pentecost. Is that right? Okay, the church is yet to fully enter into the Feast of Tabernacles, but you couldn't keep Tabernacles without Pentecost, without Passover. That's the whole thing itself. So these things pass through the cross. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and fulfilled that feast. Okay, is God interested in natural Israel? So if you, as long as you're a national Israelite, you're going to heaven? No. Paul says, peace be upon the Israel of God, because he said, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, but a new creature, a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon them and the Israel of God. So the only hope for natural Israel is to accept Christ. That's it. We're not anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, anti-nobody. Just get everybody saved. So come to the cross. Amen? And then, uh, do you need to go to earthly Jerusalem? You see, we're going to pick that up next week because in Galatians, Paul says, the Jerusalem which now is, is in bondage with the children. But the Jerusalem which is above is free and is the mother of us all. So are you looking for earthly Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem? We're told that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they look for a city whose builder and maker is God. Do you think that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are looking for that earthly Jerusalem over there? No, I've told you this before, but to remind you, the last reference to earthly Jerusalem in the Bible is Revelation 11:8, where he says, it is spiritually Sodom and Egypt where our Lord was crucified. Now I've been to Jerusalem, done that, drank out of Jacob's well, spat the water back again. Been to the two places where Jesus was buried. They're both genuine. Hey, I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Heavenly Jerusalem. Hey, I don't need to go to a city which spiritually is Egypt and Sodom where our Lord was crucified. Okay, so pass it all through the cross. So what was now the cross? Now let's go back here. The moral law, in fact, we need to go to this. Turn quickly to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, got a few more minutes here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. What happened to the Ten Commandments on tables of stone? 2 Corinthians 3 tells you the answer. Part of it. Partly. Verse 7. For if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather or more glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. Then going down to verse 13, And not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day remains the same veil unta untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And verse 7, Hebrews 8 verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. But finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a, a what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. 
which is the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, the first covenant referred to here, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regard them not, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I would put my laws, where? And write them in their hearts. So when I say I'm not under law, I'm under grace, are you lawless? No. And I'll be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Go down to verse 13 because of time. In that he saith a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish, vanish away. So now the Ten Commandments, the Nine Commandments, which are repeated in the New, are no longer written on tables of stone, two tables of stone. The New Covenant tables are, I'll write my laws in their mind and in their heart. They are internal not external. They are no longer on tables of stone. They are written on tables of the flesh, of the heart and the mind. Not abolished, but now internal. Everybody understand that? Okay, civil laws. Are those civil laws still valid today? Yes. Uh, do you want to go out and murder somebody? Or is that still valid today? Now, used to murder say, oh, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. That was nailed to the cross. Homosexuality, is that still condemned today? Yes. You will find many of the civil laws are quoted in the New Testament. Health and hygiene, were they nailed to the cross? Do you still need to keep your body clean, have a wash, and all that we men and women go through? Everybody say amen to that. Food laws. That's your choice. But I think you could, you, you are what you eat. What's eating you? <laughs> Ceremonial laws, all nailed to the cross. Now, let's go back to our notes here as we'll have to wrap up our time just about gone. Sorry, we haven't got time to go through a lot of these scriptures. So on the diagram there under D here, we just sort of need to wrap this up a bit. You have for your fill-in there, have I got it here? No, I haven't. Uh, which I've given you before, the Abrahamic, uh, the Adamic covenant, pass, pardon me, in your first slot there, just the AC Adamic, uh, is that right? Yeah, I'm sorry, the Edenic covenant, EC, okay? The Edenic covenant, the first uh, column there, then the Adamic covenant, the next column, the Noahic Covenant, the next column. The Abrahamic Covenant, the next column. Down the bottom where we put this here, if you can see it here, the Mosaic and the Palestinian Covenant. Remember, we've dealt with this before. 430 years later, did not disannul. Then this line here, if you can see it, is the Davidic Covenant. And then, of course, the cross brings you to the New Covenant. Now, we want to answer the question we asked a number of weeks back. Wherefore then serveth the law? What is the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant? Okay, reading off the notes here. Following are 12 aspects to the divine purpose for the giving of the Mosaic or Law Covenant. I do encourage you to read these scriptures between now and the millennium, unless you are in the millennium. So I have a lot of friends already there. Number one, to set forth the divine standard of righteousness. Paul says, I did not, I had not known sin except the law said. Okay, set forth the divine standard of righteousness. The law is holy and just and good. Okay, nothing wrong with the law. We're the problem, not the law. Number two, to give a clear external definition of sin because of the inadequacy of man's conscience. We have the law of conscience. So that's wrong, that's right. Man's conscience excusing, else excusing. But the law gives a clear external definition of sin. Number three, to show Israel the exceeding sinfulness and deceitfulness of sin. He said the law 
deceive me. Oh, I can keep the law. And Israel said, oh, anything God says, we'll do. Moses, tell it to God. Anything the Lord says, and God says, okay, I'm going to give you 1,500 years on the road of law and self-effort to prove to yourself that you can't keep the law. So at the end of 1,500 years, the end of the road of self-effort, Israel proved that they could not keep the law. Deceive them. Sin, the deceitfulness of sin. Number four, to expose to all men their guilt before God. All the world has become guilty before God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Number five, to preserve the nation of Israel and the chosen messianic seed from a line from total corruption by other nations. So the law was added because of transgressions until these seeds should come. That's it, to preserve the nation. So that was it. Number six, to shut Israel up as a nation in custody under a schoolmaster. It says the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So to shut Israel up as a nation in custody under a schoolmaster and prepare them for the coming of Christ. But after that faith is come, after Christ is come, who's the author and finisher of faith, all right, number seven, to illustrate the two major ways of God's dealings with man, which are seen in perfect balance in his own being. I haven't got time to... Um, develop this, but for those who are picking up seed here, God only has two grounds upon which he deals with man. And the first ground is the ground of grace. When man falls from grace, he falls to the ground of law. And all God's dealings are on that or that. I mean, the universe is run by laws. It would be terrible to have a lawless universe. It's bad enough to have lawless Christians. All right, number eight, to foreshadow and typify all the truths of grace and redemption in the ceremonial law. So we've got there all these things. Foreshadow the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice and oblation, the, his priesthood, and the church is the temple, the rending of the veil, access into the holiest of all, the feast. All these things pointed to Christ and then into the church. So it was, you know, to foreshadow and typify all the truths of grace and redemption in the ceremony law and to typify the person and work of Christ. Number nine, to provide in the ceremonial law a temporary atonement, covering. Let me say one thought on this here before we finish. Animal blood never cleansed sin. Animal blood covered sin. The blood of Jesus doesn't cover sin. It cleanses it's the difference. Old Testament animal blood covered sin. It could not cleanse. Jesus' blood does not cover sin. It cleanses it. Difference. Old Testament covers sin. New Testament blood of Jesus cleanses. So to provide in the ceremonial or temporary atonement or covering for sin by which Israel could approach God and worship and upon the basis of which he could dwell in their midst. Number 10, to illustrate more fully and clearly in visible and temporal form all the elements involved in covenantal revelation. 11, to show all the world, and that's what all those scriptures in Galatians pretty well are dealing with that we looked at tonight, to show all the world that nobody can be justified or made righteous by the law. So you try to keep the moral law, nobody's kept the Ten Commandments. Even Paul, he said, touching the righteousness of the law, I was blameless. But he said, one law condemn me. Thou should not cover that the root of sin. Civil laws, nobody's ever kept them. Anything else, health and hygiene, food, ceremony, no one's kept the law. So by the law, and here I'm using all inclusively, by the law shall no flesh be justified. The law said do and live. Grace says live and do. So by the law, so do everything you can. And there's only one man who perfectly kept the law, and that's Jesus. So the law condemns us all. So to show all the world that none can be justified or made righteous by the law, but only through grace and faith. 
and to show that the law covenant could not give life, but that only the new covenant in Christ could. That's the purpose of the law. All right, how many feel this has helped you tonight to understand the whole area of the Mosaic Covenant? So that's the uh, thing that the Galatians have had to face. Okay, you can't be justified by the law because none of us have kept this perfectly. And only as a person, you know, kept it perfectly could he receive eternal life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Don't kill, don't say, I've done all this. I've done all that. Yeah, but what lack I yet? Okay, I'll get to the root. Sell all you've got, give to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. Root thing in here, covetousness, he went away sorrowful. So nothing, none none of this can justify us. It's only through faith in Christ and Jesus writing his law in our hearts. How many can say amen? Have you understood most of these things? Have you understood some of these things? Have you understood all of these things? Okay, next week uh, we're going to pick up the two covenant sons, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. So let's all stand. Our time is up. So let's uh, close in a word of prayer here. Father, thank you once again for the privilege we have of feeding upon uh, that which is eternal. He said, man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is food for our soul, food for our spirit, food for our mind. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to just have a greater and a clearer understanding of your grace. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. We are new covenant believers and we're living in the days when you're by your spirit writing your laws within our heart and within our mind. Thank you, Father. You said there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in our hearts as we walk after the spirit in obedience to your word. Seal your word to our hearts, Father, and bless us until we gather again in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you real good. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information. God bless.